Good afternoon, everybody. We're back again for more information. To today's uh, topic this afternoon is, is what I feel is one of the most powerful and important topics that we need to pay attention to <clears throat> personally and, and, and as Seventh-day Adventists right now as, as we have an opportunity to optimize our brain wellness uh, prior to a time which is going to really challenge us in the future. And so it's, uh, our health message has, has provided us amazing insights as to how to optimize brain wellness and how to promote neurologic and emotional healing. I've had um, <clears throat> the privilege to conduct uh, a series, a 10-week series on optimal brain wellness for patients that meets once, once a week for two hours. And even that doesn't really cover all the material that is of value to optimize brain wellness. Now, for those of you who previously were in the presentation on dealing with prediabetes and diabetes, what's interesting is that many of the same strategies that we spent so much time going over relating to diabetes, the autoimmune aspect, the, the metabolic aspect, the exercise, the nutrition, all of those have equal impact on the brain as well. And see, so this again is the beauty of lifestyle medicine, is uh, what we again call this uh, serendipitous synergy, that when you focus on the right strategies in treating any condition, you get improvements in all your risk factors, not just one. Now here's one of the biggest differences between relying primarily on pharmaceutical approaches to treat disease as opposed to making sure that first and foremost you're using lifestyle medicine as first-line therapy. Now, I am not downing the conventional strategies for managing many diseases. If you look at the medical literature in all the top medical journals, they consistently say that lifestyle intervention should be the very first line of therapy. There's no debate on that. There's no argument on that. The problem is, is that much of the time, lifestyle medicine is given lip service only. You see it in all the cholesterol commercials on TV, don't you? They talk about, they talk about the, the importance of getting the cholesterol checked, and then they say, you know, along with a good diet and exercise program, this cholesterol-lowering medication could make the difference in lowering your risk. But the problem is, is that it is suggesting that what we're doing with exercise and nutrition is already sufficient, and now we need to move on to the really effective therapy, which is the pharmaceutical therapy. See, that's, that's the inference. And, and so most people just naturally think, you know, I'm on a pretty good diet. You know, I mean, I could exercise more, but I'm, you know, I do, I, I'm better than Joe, my next-door neighbor. You know, he never gets any exercise. You know, I, I, I play golf on weekends, and I try to walk with my wife once in a while. You know, but see, that's not sufficiency, right? So we're looking for what is really sufficient to impact our risk. So in, when, we're, when we're dealing with the idea of optimizing brain wellness, we have to be aware of this Synergy. What are the multiple factors that are affecting me emotionally? It's a critical topic. And 
And so the, essentially, this is the way out of depression, finding the way out of depression, anxiety, headaches, fatigue, poor memory, Alzheimer's risk, and other neurologic conditions. And so uh, traditionally, we've looked at emotional wellness primarily from a depression and anxiety standpoint. But really, the strategies, the lifestyle medicine strategies that are good for depression and anxiety are equally as effective for any neurologic condition. So, I, so anytime I see somebody who has Parkinson's or has the beginning of a neurologic condition, I refer them into this program because they're going to gain principles that collectively will provide dramatic impact on their neurologic and emotional function. So, not too long ago, in fact, just this week, my home church in Fallbrook, California, is finishing a two-week-long health evangelism campaign. This is a campaign that we planned for for a year. On a monthly basis, in preparation for this campaign, I conducted a dinner with the doctor program where we would send flyers out to the entire community and invite them to a health lecture on some timely topic, similar to what we're doing today. And, and then we would invite them to dinner in our fellowship hall, a free, full dinner, where we'd get to meet them and mingle with them and get to know them. And then we would have a question and answer session, which hopefully we'll have one at the end of this session, <laughs> where we just, you just let them ask any question. And as you can imagine, this was not just a small program. This, this really took about four or five hours of the whole church being involved in this. A lot of preparation, a lot of people involved bringing the right foods. We had menus. The community loved it. We would have 170 people coming from the community every, every once a month. They'd come on a Sunday afternoon. They loved it. They'd come from all over uh, other communities. And pastors from other churches bringing, bringing 10, 12 people because they were eager to get the information. The world is eager to get health information, to get valid, valuable health information. And we did that for seven, eight months. And then we had the opportunity to bring Dr. Tim Riesenberger, an ER physician who volunteers a week out of every month all over the world to run a health evangelism campaign at our church where we actually did evangelism. Not, it, we actually went over the detailed aspects of our church doctrines, all in the context of a health lecture. Powerful. We had pastors from other churches going, we want to come to your church. This, this is revolutionary. A few days ago, we talked about the state of the dead. And Dr. Riesenberger began discussing it from an ER doctor's perspective. When, you know, what happens at death? What constitutes death? Is it when your heart stops beating? Is it when you stop breathing? No, death occurs right here, when the brain stops working. So this is the most critical to our understanding of health. We need to understand what are the things that help optimize our brain wellness because it's the brain, and in particular the frontal lobe of the brain, that are going to determine whether you and I make good choices at this critical time of Earth's history. The challenge is, is that many of us are comfortable with certain choices that we don't really think that much about, 
partly because those choices keep us from thinking about what's really important. Literally benumbing the brain. And so, it's important to understand that anything that influences the frontal lobe is going to have a powerful influence on the way we make choices. The frontal lobe is the command center. It is the real you. It's the seat of intentionality, of will, our conscience. It's the seat of our spirituality, the primary medium through which we perceive and interpret spiritual truth. In the last session, we ended with talking about caffeine. And I don't want to, I want to make sure I don't, I, I get through this part, so I'm going to talk about that right now as it relates to the brain. Especially since we as a people, as Seventh-day Adventists, have, have really lost our edge, if you will, with regard to some of these principles. Just a few weeks ago, I was talking to a, a Mormon family uh, who loved the Seventh-day Adventist school in Escondido so much because one of their children that went there loved it so much, all of his children are now going to that school. And he's a lawyer, and he, he called me over a few weeks ago at a, at a school gathering, and we started talking. And it reminded me of an experience I had at Loma Linda University many years ago, where a a very devout Mormon young man came to Loma Linda University to study medicine. Great athlete, great student, a leader of leaders. And um, some of my friends who befriended him uh, were, were talking to him one day about putting, to, they, they had put together a basketball team to play intramurals. And um, they said, hey, why don't we put BYU on our jerseys? You know, and, and they were saying that kind of like, hey, you know, we're supporting you. And just for the fun of it, let's put BYU, Brigham Young University. You know what he said? He shocked my friends by saying, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. I'm like, why not? He says, because you're going to wear that jersey and walk around drinking Pepsi and Cokes. And I don't want that to happen. Whoa, I remember my friend told me that was like a dagger. And you know what it's like. It's, uh, in medical school, especially, especially during clinicals, you know, they're working them to death and they're expecting them to be up at all hours. And so half justifies having a machine that has caffeinated beverages in it. And at the time they had that. I don't think they have it anymore, by the way. But back 25 years ago, and, and he was offended as a Mormon that that somehow would, would uh, project onto him. That kind of made me stop and think about, you know, what do we believe? Do we really believe it, or are we picking and choosing what we want to believe? Now, I'm not, I'm not, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, and I'm not trying to bring guilt on anybody. I think it's just an important, an important topic for us to understand, partly because society has, has created an atmosphere where we don't really think that much about it anymore. I mean, we all have colleagues within our church that we respect greatly who don't think much at all about drinking coffee or drinking caffeinated beverages because it's just so ubiquitous. And I feel a little bit weird even talking about it in this setting, you know? <laughs> um, and, and partly because it's seen as legalistic when anybody does, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's like, come on, let's get on with something that's important. Don't, don't talk about these legalistic issues. See, that's not the issue whether it's legalistic or not. The issue is what is best for us? What does God want for us? 
And what are the consequences of following a path that we think is okay, but clearly is against the counsel that was given to us for the purpose of our health? And so not only does, does the consumption of caffeinated beverages damage the adrenal glands and predispose us to autoimmune disease and diabetes, and, and actually it, it does predispose to diabetes over time because it's damaging those organ systems. Um, but it actually does something far more damaging than that. And that is that it actually bypasses the activity of the frontal lobe. Did you know that caffeine actually is a chemical form of hypnotism? Now, I'm speaking medically, scientifically now. I'm not, I'm not making philosophical analogies here. It's liquid hypnotism. See, what's the purpose of hypnotism? To bypass frontal lobe activity. That is the stated purpose in the medical textbooks of hypnotism. It bypasses the frontal lobe. The value of the frontal lobe is to help us make critical judgments at times when our choices make the difference, make a huge difference as to what our future holds. So it's, 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 not a, you know, it's not a legalistic issue. It's an opportunity for us to keep our brain so focused that we can catch the errors of our own ways. Otherwise, we're just kind of like, hey, isn't this great? And we potentially lose out on eternity just because we're not thinking clearly. There was an interesting study published a few years ago that, and well, what they did is they actually put the, the amount of caffeine typically found in two cups of coffee in a glass of orange juice. And they randomly divided up a group of college students and half of them randomly got orange juice with no caffeine, and the other half got orange juice with the caffeine. And they carefully evaluated how that orange juice affected them mentally and emotionally. And what they found was is that the group that, unbeknownst to them, received the caffeinated orange juice, they had a very significant increase in information processing. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. See, caffeine does good things. Smoking does good things. Okay? Any drug does a lot of good things, but anytime something does a good thing, what would a rational, objective person ask? What's, what's the downside? You know, is there, what's the trade-off? Is, is, is the trade-off worthwhile or is the trade-off not worthwhile? Those are the decisions that we need to be making on a daily basis. What's the trade-off? What's ultimately the benefit to me versus the harm to me? Okay, and when our frontal lobe isn't working really well, we can't make those decisions very well. Well, what they found was that, yes, they dramatically increased the information processing capacity sharper, quicker with analytical information. But something else happened that was really intriguing. They became much more susceptible to what was being presented to them. In other words, they were processing that information faster, but now they were far more likely to agree with information and not critically analyze it. Why? because they were bypassing the frontal lobe. And so what's interesting about 
caffeine is that it makes you more susceptible and more gullible to what's going on. You're less likely to question what's happening. And you know, there's so many things in our society that make it so easy to just kind of follow the path of least resistance. Right? I mean, the, the, the devil's doing a great job, isn't he? There's just, it's just, we have to be constantly vigilant or else we're making decisions without realizing it. They have bypassed the moral judgment centers of the brain, the frontal lobe. So, it's, in fact, one of my colleagues says that caffeine is liquid stress. It actually dramatically increases the production of cortisol by the adrenals. And that's why some people are hooked on it, because they've burned out their adrenals so much, that's what keeps their adrenals working hard, even though they need to be resting. So we need to find other strategies to help fix the adrenal glands, to help improve our processing capacity without bypassing the frontal lobe, right? It's just like we talked about smoking. Most of us have no problem with the idea that smoking is bad for us, but in reality, right, smoking does a lot of good things for people. That's why they do it. So we just have to find a better solution that does that, that avoids the harm while still providing something good, helping them concentrate better. So that's where the health message comes in. It, it gives us the solutions so we don't have to rely on artificial stimulants, on, on drugs to get through the day, get rid of all those cobwebs, right? By the way, if, if you're struggling with this, you know, we're all human, right? we all struggle with something. If you're struggling with the issue of caffeine and you're like, man, I don't know if I can get through the day without having some caffeine. I just become a really mean person if I don't have caffeine. You know, don't, don't even talk to me before I've had a cup of coffee, right? I mean, that's a reality. So I understand that's a challenge. But here, here's the good news is that one of the things that I've, that many of us have learned from our health message is the benefit of drinking a tall glass of warm to hot water first thing in the morning when you wake up. And I remember talking to some, I remember as a kid, I went in, we, we stayed in somebody's home one, one evening as we were traveling. And as I woke up that morning, I must have been 13 or 14, the, the man of the house came into my room and gave me a hot cup of water. I went, I went like, what's this for, right? And, and he just gave it to me. He's like, you know, in our house, we drink hot water in the morning, you're going to do it too. <laughs> That's okay. And, uh, and so that, kind of, that was kind of a different thing, you know, kind of a weird... Um, but then, you know, fortunately, I started asking questions about that. And I found out that, hey, this is actually some really good advice. If you struggle with needing caffeine first thing in the morning, I encourage you to drink a tall, hot mug of water. And if you haven't tried that, don't knock it. Because I have patient after patient coming back to me and goes, wow, are you kidding me? I would have never thought that I could drink a tall mug of water with maybe a little twist of lemon or lime in it, and I could wake up just as well as a hot cup of coffee. It's true. See, because the reality is not the caffeine in the coffee that wakes you up. It's the heat of the liquid that wakes you up. Caffeine keeps you awake. It doesn't make you become awake. And hot water is good for not just activating the brain and the nervous system, but it's great, great treatment for constipation. And see, constipation isn't just an inconvenience. 
it's a toxic burden on the entire body, including the brain. A toxic burden. The best natural remedy I know of for constipation is a hot, tall mug of water first thing in the morning. By the way, another, another trick is taking magnesium at bedtime. Magnesium citrate. And you just increase the dose until you have a healthy bowel movement first thing in the morning. Exercise first thing in the morning, another great treatment. So, so there, are many, there are many ways to improve brain function. That's just the beginning of it. So what you're seeing in your handouts and on the slides, the picture of a healthy brain. These are slides that Dr. Daniel Amen has allowed us to use that correspond. The wind is actually using my iPhone more than I am here. <laughs> I don't know how that's working. Um, changing the slides. But so the, you see this picture, the spec scan of the brain. It's uh, smooth. But see, our nervous system is very intricate. There are a lot of things that influence the synaptic interconnection in the brain. And so we're going to be talking about what are some of those powerful things. You see here in a, a spec scan of a brain of somebody who's just used marijuana on weekends. You see all those holes in the brain? These are areas of the brain that have lost metabolic activity. But you see, it's not just marijuana or alcohol consumption that causes these metabolic holes in the brain, where the brain is not functioning to capacity. Just stress where we haven't learned how to control stress in our lives does very similar things. So we need to take responsibility and be accountable to figure out how can I mitigate or control the expression of stress in my life. Anytime our nervous system is under attack, it increases our risk for neurologic problems. Let's, let's look at the first natural remedy. As we look at how do we lower our risk for Alzheimer's, for instance? Well, researchers have found that there is a toxin in the brain that the, that is, the brain is very susceptible to, a neurotoxin that is called ADDL. And this toxin actually binds to the nerve cells and causes them to disassociate, causes them to stop communicating properly, which is now known to be the, the initiating and primary event in leading to Alzheimer's. So what are the things that help neutralize or minimize the effect of that neurotoxin? There's good studies now one study published in the journal Toxicology in late 2009 showed that olives, an extra virgin olive oil, have a neuroprotective chemical in them that is called oleocanthal. And this chemical that God has created into olive, when consumed, will be absorbed into the nervous system and into the brain, will literally bind to the ADDL neurotoxin and render it incapable of toxicity, neutralizing it completely. So, I was talking with some people today, says, give me cancer, but don't give me Alzheimer's, right? So anybody who's seen the ravages of Alzheimer's in their family, you can understand why they say, I'll, I'll take cancer, but do not give me Alzheimer's. This is important to me. My grandfather on my mother's side died with Alzheimer's. 
recognize that I may have some of that risk, or I likely have some of that risk, genetically speaking. So what can I start doing right now to limit my risk of Alzheimer's? Fortunately, using extra virgin olive oil moderately in a diet is not only good for the brain, but it's also good for the heart. And this is an important principle to understand. Anything that's good for the heart, for cardiovascular risk management, is typically going to be very good for the brain as well. At least in terms of lifestyle and nutritional strategies. When you start talking about pharmaceutical strategies, jury's out and all bets are off. Challenges with relying primarily on drug strategies is that they're good for one thing, but they actually make another thing worse. Do you know that there's studies in the medical journals showing that the very best medication for diabetes, metformin, and it is, I agree, it's it's by far the been shown to be the very best medication for diabetes actually is associated with a greater tendency to Alzheimer's? And what's interesting is that Alzheimer's is more and more being referred to now as type 3 diabetes. Because something has gone awry in the ability of the brain to take in sugar. Right? And the brain, the brain uses a tremendous amount of sugar. That's why it's always called, you know, the brain food. I'm going to have a Snickers bar because this is brain food. Well, it really doesn't work that way. It, it, the, the brain will use it, but the rest of the body gets thrown out of balance, and then that disbalance affects the brain. So it, ultimately, it becomes more of a brain toxin. It's that temporary solution, just like smoking, just like coffee that initially seems to be a good thing because we get benefit but ends up being a curse to the system. So, so the components in extra virgin olive oil actually target these neurotoxins for antibody attack. Boom! It locks them up and prevents them from causing more damage. So this is one reason that it would be prudent to eat large, deep green leafy salads on a daily basis and maybe using a small amount of extra virgin olive oil as the dressing along with what? What would be a good combination with olive oil? I'm going to turn this off. It just keeps... Uh, So, um, I would recommend adding lemon, freshly squeezed lemon, which will improve digestion, help you absorb the very minerals that are critical for neurologic function. You know that magnesium is one of the minerals that most of us are deficient in. The lack of magnesium dramatically increases the tendency for cholesterol to form plaques in the artery walls. The lack of magnesium opens up an opportunity for toxins to attach themselves where magnesium is supposed to be in our enzyme systems, in receptor sites throughout the body. And so it's critical that we avoid deficiencies because deficiencies open us up to dramatic increase susceptibility to the toxins that are ready in our body. See, it's not just about the toxins that are around us and in us. It's about how susceptible and unsecure the cells and organ systems of the body are with regards to the toxins that are floating around. If your organ systems in your cells and tissues are well fortified with all the nutrients, those toxins have very little capacity to damage the body or 
significant decreased capacity. So that's, that's, that's really why it's so critical that we eat primarily from whole unprocessed plant foods because that's where the minerals are. You know, that's where the phytochemicals are, which are even more important than the minerals. These are, these are substances that are, are, are not even nutrients. They're just chemicals in the food that have dramatic influence on the body. There was a, a study done at Chicago's Rush Institute that looked at how diet influenced the aging of the brain, the cognitive function of the brain. And they were looking at almost 2,000 elderly individuals, and they found that those who ate a cup of chopped or two cups of whole raw leafy vegetables a day over a period of six years that they were being evaluated were 40% less likely to experience mental decline than those who ate few or no vegetables. See, it's sometimes we think that health is about what we don't eat, and there's truth to that. There, we, we know that if we don't do certain things, we're going to be healthier. But more important than that is making sure that we're doing the things that are good for us. Health cannot be determined by the things we don't do. Health is determined largely by the things that we are involved in that are good for us, which then naturally take the place of the things that are bad for us. Because if we're just staying away from the bad things, you know what? Eventually, we're going to be doing the bad things. Because we haven't done anything to keep us from those bad things. And so those individuals who had experienced on a daily basis, consuming lots of green leafy vegetables, they had a mental a capacity that was equivalent to individuals that were at least five years younger. So it's the process of delaying aging of the tissues and the cells and the organs and speeding the healing. So we want to do both. We want to speed up healing, slow down aging. Now, I think one individual that has influenced me more than any in this area of neurologic health is Dr. Neil Nedley. I remember at, um, at a, GC, a, G, a GC session some, some years ago, he encouraged me to take his program on, on dealing with depression to Guam. I bought the whole set, you know, 200 and $50 worth of stuff, and I hauled it all the way to Guam on the plane. And I, you know, just like everybody else, you know, I'm, I was super busy, and I put that on the shelf, and it sat there month after month after month. And, um, and I, I would, I would, every few weeks, I'd look at that and go, man, I gotta, I gotta do that. But I was already doing all these evening New Start programs and running diabetic clinics and lifestyle medicine clinics and, and hypertension clinics. And I was like, well, I don't have time to do this. So I just sat there and sat there. And then God started acting on my heart. He started pulling on my heartstrings. And I, and I just felt really impressed, compelled that I needed to do this. And at the same time, God was, was acting on somebody else in our church and we did a homeless ministry over Thanksgiving, right on the beach, where a lot of the homeless in Guam live, right on the beach. You gotta be homeless, Guam's a pretty good place to be homeless. One reason is, is that the people of Guam were, are extremely giving and family-oriented. And anybody who's anywhere nearby during a party or festivity, they actually bring them a whole plate of food. Fried chicken, short ribs, lots and lots of white rice, and all the beer you can drink. Literally. Or soda. They just give it. They're very giving. Give it, give it, give it. And, um, and so 
one, one individual I'm thinking of particular, his name was Joe. He lived there on the beach and you know, they, they were fairly well fed because there's always parties at the beach and there always was free food. And uh, we had a church service for the homeless along and with and fed them. And Joe came to that. The next week he came to church and it was the first church service where I announced that we were going to be starting a depression management series. The very first uh, the early part of developing this ex expanded optimal brain pro uh, wellness program. Well, uh, Joe actually came to the church and heard me make that announcement. Afterwards, he came up to me and he was very timid. Uh, and he said, uh, he said, Doc, is, is, this, is there a chance that I could go to that? I went, absolutely. We'd love to have you there. I didn't know anything about this man. I didn't know that he was packing a gun. I didn't know that he, he had experienced severe post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, he'd been in Vietnam. I didn't know that, that he was the baddest martial arts guy in the island. Uh, they called him Rambo for good reason. He had, he had actually been at a family gathering around the time he'd become homeless because he'd had a falling out with his family even though he was he was an expert linguist and the department chair of local Chamorro language for the whole island. He was a high school student taught at the University of Guam but he just had it with everybody and became and just went off on his own, living, living on the beach. And at a, at a party, uh, a cousin of his had been upset at him and pulled a gun on him. And Joe didn't care whether he lived or died, so he walked right up to him, pulled the gun from behind his neck, and shot him in the leg. All the while, his cousin was pointing a gun at him. And the guy screaming his legs, he's, you shot me. I had the gun, I'm going to kill you. He says, go ahead, kill me. I don't care. Just a hard, hard, hardened heart. And I didn't know any of this. So the day I was going to start, the devil was working hard. I was busy. And I kept thinking, how am I going to get Joe to come to this? He's homeless. I, was, I can't say, hey, you know, just jump in your car and we're five miles away. And so while I was trying to get ready for something I wasn't ready for, you know, I just I decided I was going to do it. Just going to do it. Just start doing it. You know, sometimes when it comes to our work with God, you can't wait to get ready for it. Because if you do that, you're never going to do. You're never going to follow God's will if you wait until you feel comfortable enough to do it. I'm not ready. I need more training. I need more of this. I need to understand this better. Just do it. Just get up and do it. And God will work through you. So that day I, I finally got a hold of, of a friend of mine. Actually it was his wife who had three little kids. I said, I need somebody to pick up Joe at the beach because he's not going to come otherwise. And so she said, I'll do it. I said, are you sure? You know, it's homeless guy on the beach. And she says, yeah, I'm going to go. And so she went with her three little kids, a baby and two little kids, and walked up to him. Well, what she didn't know was is that Joe had a perimeter around his bunker, he called it. If anybody came into that perimeter, he'd take them out. See, he was a Vietnam vet. Nobody came into his perimeter without permission. He, he had machetes and things lined up around, knives. He didn't really need those because he was, he was such an amazing fighter. He ne didn't need those, but he just had those around to kind of scare people off because he didn't want to talk to anybody. So, but he, he had been to our church that one day. So we, they, they she ran with the kids through Liberty Park. They're on Tumon Bay, Hagatnia Bay. 
and, um, and woke him up, tapped him on the shoulder. He was sleeping in his, what he called his bunker. And he was startled. And then he, re- he recognized who she was in these little kids. He says, I'm here to pick you up to come to the seminar. And he goes, okay. So he came to the seminar. A year and a half later, after he completely changed his life, given his life over to God, and the very first of all the Chamorro people to translate the Bible and the, and the Amazing Facts Bible studies into the local language of the people and had his own radio show on our own Seventh-day Adventist radio station. He was doing all that. A year and a half later, we were driving together, and, and, and he said, um, Doc, I want to tell you something. I go, what? He says, um, he says, remember that first day when, when uh, Nina came to pick me up at the beach? I go, yeah, I remember it well. I was so glad that you came. He says, you know, the night before, I had decided to kill myself. And I decided that I was going to kill myself when I woke up that next morning. Because I was so distraught. I was so upset about how my life had been. And see, suicide occurs not when somebody's at the, at the very bottom, but when they're starting to come back up. Suicide comes at a time when people are starting to look for answers, but they're, they're just overwhelmed by the challenge that they're in. So I decided I was going to kill myself. First thing I saw when I woke up was the smiling face of Nina and her little kids around me saying, Come on, Uncle Joe, because everybody's uncle there in Guam, or uncle or auntie. Come to the program. We're here to take you to the program. So I went to the program. He sat in the front row and he took notes. And for 10 weeks, he took notes. And every time he learned something new, he did it. He was a homeless guy who had access, the only drinks he had access to was coffee, Pepsis, or beer, white rice, steak, or short ribs. That's what he had. And when he learned that refined grains and white rice actually increased depression risk, cut that out of his diet, even though that was the main food he had available to him, okay? Uh, If anybody had an excuse to say, oh man, this is really interesting information, but hey, I'm homeless. I can't do this. I don't have any money. I can't eat this way. I mean, have you ever heard somebody use the excuse, oh man, all these vegetables and green leafies, that's great for you because you got money. I, I can't afford this. But then they walk out of Walmart with a, with a grocery cart full of Twinkies and cookies and all kinds of stuff that are clearly related to neurologic decline and depression. So we went over the 10 hits that Dr. Nedley very eloquently points out in his series. All the different things that influence our risk of neurologic problems, genetics, developmental, lifestyle factors, the circadian rhythm, addictions, nutrition, toxins in the environment, medical conditions, and so forth things that we could spend literally 20, 30 hours talking about and still not fully address. For 10 weeks, he changed everything. He started, he started getting up in the morning. He, he found out if you read the Bible, it's good for depression. So he, he had a Bible in his backpack. He just pulled out his Bible and started reading it every morning for an hour a day. He found out that being in the early morning light was good for depression. Well, that's easy. I'm living on the beach. So he made sure he got out of the shadows, got out of the shade, and went out and, and, and was on the beach. And he realized, hey, walking for a half hour or up to an hour a day is really good for the brain. So he started walking. So people are like, you know, he, there, was, there was a couple big, huge, drunk guys on the beach one night. And they walked up to him, and they, and they were going to take him out. He's a big, bad dude, so. And Joe's just kind of a short five-foot-six guy, doesn't really look like much. But he's the guy that taught all the policemen in Guam martial arts. 
These two big, huge guys, they didn't realize that. They're just new to the island, and they thought they were going to take this guy out. Guess who got taken out? They both woke up the next morning. They'd been knocked out by his foot, <laughs> right? He was just barefoot. Boom, boom. They're down and out. So then they started, they all kind of worshipped him. You know, everybody knew you don't mess with Joe, Rambo, right? Take you out. Um, but then his attitude started changing. His family wouldn't, didn't want anything to do with him because they were scared of him. He had, had a hot temper. He started changing all these things in his lifestyle. Calmed him down. Totally different person. Little by little, his more bra braver relatives started coming around and talking to him hesitantly, three to four feet away. Because they, they had seen what he could do. Just without any pro, uh, provoca provocation, he would just beat somebody up or start yelling at them. Not anymore. He was a changed man. As I, as I watched him change, actually as I talked to his family members, who educated me about who he had been previously, somebody that I hadn't seen, right? It brought back images of Christ and the demoniac. Changed. See, the health message is an opportunity for us to exercise our demons. We don't, we don't see the demons in our life these days, but really our health measure is an opportunity to get rid of the things that hold us captive. Joe dramatically transformed his life. He found out that classical music was good for him, that it actually helped the frontal lobe worked much better. And so he actually found a way to listen to classical music on the beach. <laughs> he did, see, and my, the reason I'm telling you this is because we, it's so easy for you and I to come up with excuses why we don't do certain things. Even after we've been presented with the medical evidence to show how dramatically beneficial it can be. Let me, um, let me end with a couple studies that, that I, think, I think are, um, are really important. And um, here we go. This first, this first, um, this first study was a, a study done at Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin. And The researchers trying to establish the impact of what we're thinking and how that affects the immune system. And what they did is they took a group of middle-aged women who were being immunized against the flu. Half of the women randomly were assigned were given an assignment that they said, we want you to think about a time in your life when where it, was just, it was just wonderful. It was a great experience, a loving experience. For about six minutes, and then we're going to give you the flu vaccine. And then six months later, you're going to come back, and we're going we're to actually draw your blood, and we're going to test to see how well that flu vaccine generated antibodies against against the viruses that it was supposed to generate antibodies against. The other group was told that instead of thinking of joyful thoughts, they were told, we want you to think about a time in your life when somebody betrayed you, when somebody did something that really hurt you, that's been really difficult for you to forgive. 
Six minutes, just six minutes. Now, the average scientist would say, well, a flu vaccine is a flu vaccine. You get inoculated with that, that's going to generate antibodies. It doesn't matter whether you're sick or how you feel or what's going on, it's going to work. It's, you know, this is science. Body doesn't work that way. Everything going on inside of our body and our brain affects how everything else works. If somebody has, if somebody's feeling poorly and is sick or has a cold, that's not a time. If you if you do vaccines, that's not a time to do vaccines because it's not going to work very well. This study showed that after six months of these women coming back, if they had been part of that randomized group that that was thinking these negative thoughts, these, these negative experiences were being rehashed in their mind, they had a dramatic decrease in, in the amount of antibodies that that vaccine had created, generated. How we think dramatically affects how we are, our, our body physiology. In fact, thinking is a physiologic process. We tend to separate that. You know, what's going on in our mind? That's not really real. That's just a thought. You know, I can, I can think about that. I just can't do it. But as Christians, we, we should know better, right? We, we know from scriptures that as a man thinketh, so is he. So this study at the University of Wisconsin just helped, helped us better understand a truth that we should have already accepted. Okay, that everything that's going on. So if we have, if something's bothering us, if we don't bring closure to that, it's going to damage us. It's going to damage our immune system. It's going to dramatically decrease our body's capacity to heal itself. God created our body to be able to heal itself if we take advantage of the physical, emotional, spiritual avenues that lead to healing. Our body's designed to connect with all those healing agencies. So if we're harboring resentment in our heart, maybe not right now, because we're not thinking about it, but since I brought it up, man, what, what is the one thing in your mind, if you think about it, that's bothering you. Something going on at home, something going on at work, something going on at school. It's really aggravating you that sometimes you wake up with a start because you're thinking about it. Which makes you want to watch TV or do something else all the time because otherwise you're like going crazy thinking about this. Unless you bring closure to that, there's going to, it's going to lead to disease. It has to be addressed. And so that's why the topics of forgiveness that we've alluded to are so, so critical that we learn to let go and let God, that we learn to fully accept God's forgiveness and fully give God's forgiveness and no longer hold on to resentment. Because resentment is a physiologic process. It's an inflammatory process that's going to drive the system into all kinds of dysfunction. We have to cut it out. It's, it's literally the worst toxin that we could be exposed to. It's insidious. The last study I want to share with you is um, it's a study that was done at, at the Department of Corrections in England. It's a fascinating study because a group of researchers got together and asked a question, is it possible that even small amounts of certain nutrients can change somebody who has a violent temperament. Implicating that things that we eat or consume 
dramatically influences the way the brain works that can lead to aberrant behaviors, including the worst of hostility, aggressive acts of violence. So what they did is, what better group to study than a, a group of young men who were imprisoned because of violent acts? And the study protocol amazed me. Because what they did is they took, it was a double-blind, placebo-controlled study, which is the highest standard in science. Which means that not only do the subjects, in this case the prisoners, the violent prisoners, none of them knew whether they were getting the active ingredients, but neither did the researchers knew who was getting the active ingredients. So when they evaluated their behaviors, they were not biased, trying to make the study more likely to be you know, effective. And but what was really amazing about the study is what they chose as the, as the substance to study. They gave the experimental group minerals, a multiple vitamin mineral complex, and a capsule of fish oil, omega-3 oils. That was it. So on the surface, if I was looking at the study, I'd go like, you know, what's the chance of those two little supplements making a difference in young, violent men? You know, it's, I, I wouldn't have expected it. You know, I would say, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta change the whole diet, and you gotta do this, and you, get, you gotta do everything. And of course, that would be the goal, right? But, but when we look at studies, we're trying to see which parts of that have an impact. See you know what they found? That after just it was seven and nine months of that study, they broke the code and they evaluated the impact of that little supplement taken daily, consistently, and how that influenced violent activity. And what they discovered was that those who were getting the little omega 3 oils and the multiple vitamin mineral complex they had 35 to 40% less violent activity than they had previously and compared to the other group. There was no anger management seminar, no program that the Department of Corrections had ever been involved with that had anywhere near that success. A 40% change in violent activity simply because they were doing two little things, but they were doing it consistently. There is real power in making sure that you're taking in the right nutrients. There's all kinds of things that influence our health. But one of the things that we've tended to miss the boat on, that we've kind of, kind of dismissed, that we're almost apologetic about, is the power of diet. The power of diet. And many many other institutions and, and, and uh, people groups are actually surpassing what we've known by, by actively following this information, information that we've known and had been privy to for many generations now. We talk about the, the, the value or the, the benefit in the blue zones, you know, and how Adventists uh, in Southern California, live 10 years longer than non-Adventists. But you know, we're losing that edge. Even though the National Geographic's magazine, that we were the only Blue Zone group that wasn't losing its edge. I don't believe that. I'm glad that, that we weren't losing as much as other long-lived long -lived groups. But we're losing our edge. Why? Because we're not, as a group, we have lost our distinctiveness. partly because of what we learned about the generations that we're in. That's why I'm excited about the new generation. So all you guys and gals that are in the new generation, don't rely on us anymore, okay? Take the stand and take us, finish the work, because it's gonna take you, because our generation couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. 
We were too caught up in everything else that we were doing. And we were too, we weren't bold enough to present the message the way it should have been presented. Okay? So those of you that are, that are in, in your 20s and under, take the challenge. You're the final generation. We want you to finish this. Okay? And we'll support you. We'll support you, but you need to be the leaders. Because many of the rest of us, we, we have missed our opportunities to do that. <coughs> so um, there's many, many ways that we can optimize our emotional health. The key thing here is to recognize that, that it's all influencing our frontal lobe and our ability to make the right decisions in these last days. I'm excited. I'm excited about the information that's available to us. And I want to commit my life to to incorporating these principles on a daily basis. if, if, If somebody who has an inherent violent temperament can dramatically change by just doing two simple little things that are supplemental, what about taking advantage of the entire health message that we have? Think of what that could do to us. Think of what that could do to all the people that we have influence over. I'm excited about those possibilities, and I hope you are too. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for the opportunity to think about what you have been telling us, what you have been eagerly encouraging us to do for so long, but been so easy to dismiss it. It's been so easy for us to think that we're enlightened and that that information really doesn't apply to us anymore. Well, Lord, we want, we want to be spiritually enlightened to allow you to be Lord of our lives once again. So we pray, Lord, that we be willing to allow you to transform us so that we no longer conform to the ways of this world, but that we'll be willing to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by being open to your leading. We are looking forward to how you're going to bless us because of that. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.